Hey, if you look in your worship bulletins this morning, you will see that we have started something at Oakmont back in August, and we're continue, continuing it. Today it's called Nine to Know. In nine minutes, we're going to be able to tell you everything that you've wanted to know about the Oakmont Church family. So if you're new for the first time today, or maybe you've just been a few times and you want to know more about the Oakmont uh, church's ministry and what we're up to here, we invite you down to our multi-purpose room immediately following the service for about nine minutes. There'll be a short video and some questions and answers, and even if you're a longtime Oakmont member and you just want to drop in to see what we're including in the nine to know uh, welcoming emphasis, then feel free to just stop by for a few minutes. The other thing I wanted to tell you before we start, uh, before I start the sermon this morning is on the first Sunday of October, we're going to be receiving a special offering. And I want to tell you what this offering goes for. I think that all of us appreciate the technology that we have in this room. And if it were not for these screens, if it were not for the cameras, if it were not for the projections, if it were not for the soundboard, if it were not for all of the brains that you never see back in our sound room and up in our booth up here, if it were not for all that equipment, we couldn't do our worship the way we do it on Sunday. Our Emerge band and singers would be uh, sorely impoverished, and we would too as a congregation. Number two, when you can't be here on a Sunday, maybe you're sick, maybe you've had surgery, maybe something's going on in your family's life and your way and you want to live stream the service or watch it by way of cable channel cable channel 7 then all this technology makes that possible now you may find this hard to believe if you've been around Oakmont for a while but next month in October this building this room will be 15 years old it's kind of hard to believe isn't it 15 years old and all of the equipment that we use from the screens to the projectors to the cameras to the soundboards to all the stuff that you don't see sadly is starting to die and we're going to have to replace it so this is what i want to ask you to do over the next month i want you to be praying if you find value in our worship if you find value when you're not here being able to live stream a service or uh, watch it on cable channel seven and if you think it makes a difference in our community and i can tell you it does uh, I don't know if you get feedback about our TV service or our live streaming, but when I move around Greenville, and especially if I show up at the hospital to visit someone, if I'm in a nursing home, retirement center, or I mean, I can just be anywhere, somebody will see me, and they will say, you're the pastor at Oakmont. I watch the Oakmont worship service every Sunday. I can't go to my church any longer. Or for whatever reason, I tuned in. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, I found out firsthand I mean, I've always appreciated our live streaming and TV ministry, but I found out firsthand at the end of April and into March when I was out for five weeks because of surgery and recovery, uh, I stayed connected every Sunday, and I was a part of that worship. So I want you to be praying about what God might lead you to give above and beyond your regular financial giving to the church to replace some of this equipment that we need and we value. And I hope that you will be generous in doing that. I'm not going to tell you what it's going to cost this morning. Because if we did, we'd have to call 911 to uh, have the rescue squad come to pick up all the fainting people in the pews. I mean, it's, it's expensive. It's not cheap. 
So we'll talk about that later. Okay, take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. If you've got a pew Bible in front of you or your mobile device or you brought a Bible, we're continuing to look at this idea of the biblical one another commands out of Scripture. So we started with love one another. We've talked about be compassionate, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another. We've talked about bearing one another's burdens and singing to one another and encouraging and building up one another. This morning, we're going to talk about several one another's. But we're going to start out with loving one another that leads to being at peace with one another. And we're going to see that in between that straight line journey, that there are a couple stops we've got to make. We're going to have to honor one another and be devoted to one another and live in harmony with one another. So let's see what Paul has to say here. Romans 12, beginning with verse 9. My new international version, NIV version, reads, Let, uh, Love must be sincere. How many of you all have that in your Bibles? Anybody got sincere? Anybody have let love be genuine? Does anybody have that by chance? Okay, a few, few folks have let love be genuine. Um, the actual Greek says, let your love be unhypocritical. In other words, don't be a hypocrite about saying you love someone. And then Paul gives us like 30 plus examples of what it means to move from an unhypocritical love to being at peace with people. And, you know, when we talked about loving one another when we first started this sermon series at the end of July, I made the point to you that Jesus did not say, a new command I have for you, that you like one another. Because we don't always like what people say or do or think, do we? But we can still love them. So, Paul starts out, let your love be sincere, genuine, unhypocritical, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Then we get the first one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Then we get to the second one. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Actually, that word for hospitality is practice hospitality to the stranger. And in the Bible, the stranger is the alien, the immigrant, the stranger in your land. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And then in verse 16, we get to the next one another. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And then we get to verse 18. If it is possible, now we got an if-then proposition here. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with one another or with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to, revenge, to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And then over in chapter 14, verse 9, 19 rather, we hear these words. 
19, chapter 14, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, thanks be to God. Okay, do we have any parents in the room this morning who have grown children who live out of town? Raise your hand, high. Okay, got a few folks. Do we have any grandparents in the room who have children who live out of town? Grandchildren. The other 940 service had a few more folks than we've got here this morning. Okay, D, you got some grandchildren out of town. All right. I got two children that live out of town. And I got five grandchildren between the two. So our daughter Lauren lives in Winston-Salem. Now, you know the straight line travel between Greenville and Winston-Salem is as follows, and you know it. You've got to go 264 to Zebulon, and that's not a bad drive, is it? I mean, it's seldom that I get in a traffic jam on 264 between here and Wilson or Wilson to Zebulon. But something changes in Zebulon. Have you noticed that? What, what happens in Zebulon? I mean, the traffic on 64 starts to build up, and then I go around Raleigh. I usually take 540 zip around Raleigh, and then you hit 40 again. And from the other side of Raleigh, Greensboro, Winston, say, I mean, that, that 40 can really get congested, built up, right? But let me tell you my real driving challenge. It's not going to see my daughter, Lauren, although that can be the case on occasion. But we go to see our son, Philip, and his family in Alexandria, Virginia. Does anybody know where Alexandria, Virginia is? You ever heard of Washington, D.C.? Anybody ever traveled up I-95 before? That, man, man, I mean, where does all that traffic come from? Now, it's not bad getting from Greenville to Rocky Mount, is it? There are a lot of different ways. I go through the country. I just pick a route through the country and hit 95 in Rocky Mount. And actually, the drive from Rocky Mount up to Richmond, most of the time isn't bad. It could get, get a little heavy, but it's not bad. Then we usually take 295 and loop around the, the uh, east side of, of Richmond. And even when you hit the, the north side of Richmond, it's not too terribly bad. But you get to this community, this town called Fredericksburg, Virginia. Anybody ever ridden up through Fredericksburg, Virginia? You know, it's 50 about 50 miles from Fredericksburg to Washington, D.C., you know how long it takes to drive 50 miles? It might be an hour, this hour, and next hour it might be two hours. And the next time you go, it might be three hours. It's a doggone parking lot. And you don't ever know, coming north or south, if the traffic is going to be stopped. I mean, there's no figuring it out. And the frustrating thing is that, you know, you sit in traffic and you go... 20 miles after, you know, an hour, and then it clears up, and you can't, it, there's nothing there that indicates what stopped it. And then you go another five miles, and it stops, and you go another 30 minutes driving two or three miles, and then it clears up, and there's no indication of why it stopped. And the, and the other frustrating part, can you tell I'm frustrated? Can you tell I just made a trip up there in the last couple of weeks? And there's no good detour. I mean, you can get off of 95 and go on number one, but it can be just as bad. And you're going through little towns with stoplights. And so, you know, you're making that straight line trip, and, and there's just no detour. 
to get to the place where I want to get to receive the hugs from those grandchildren when I arrive. Okay, I want you to think with me this morning about the straight line road that we all must travel. There are no detours, sorry to inform you. If you want to move from that straight line of loving other people without any hypocrisy whatsoever, doesn't mean you've got to like them. Fact is, you might not. Might not like what they do say or think. If you want to move from that straight line from loving one another to being at peace with one another, there are a couple of stops you've got to make. You can't detour around it. You've got to stay on that road. What's the first stop? The first stop is in verse 10. We have to become devoted to one another. We have to show a sincere, kind, and loving affection for other people. You know what it means to be affectionate to other people with your words and your behavior, right? That's the first stop. We have to become devoted to one another. Number two, verse 10, we have to honor one another. What does that mean? It means that we defer to people on occasion. Out of reverence and respect for who they are, we decide that we don't always have to let our opinions and our desires and our beliefs and our wants rule the day. We can actually give in and let somebody else win. And, and the final choice doesn't always have to be ours. That's what it means to honor another person. Then we get to verse 16. And we live in harmony with one another. What does that mean? To live in harmony with someone means that both of you are going to agree to have the same mind about how we're going to treat each other. And how are we going to treat each other? Well, it's all these 30-plus items that Paul gives us here in this text. Those things like we're going to you know, bless and not curse people who persecute us. We're going to rejoice with people who rejoice and mourn with those who are mourning. We're not going to be proud. We're not going to repay evil for evil. We're going to do the right thing in the sight of all people. We're going to do our best to do the right thing. So, when we begin our journey, and we're going to try to love people without hypocrisy, and we stop there at being devoted to one another, and we're honoring one another, and we live in harmony with one another, then we reach our destination finally. It's in verses 18 and 19. And by the way, remember, no detours. Got to go through all those steps to arrive at the destination of verses 18 and 19, which reads, live at peace with everyone or with one another. Do not take revenge. Ooh, that's hard, isn't it? Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. That's the straight line journey from loving unhypocritically to being at peace with one another. But let's just say for a moment that we hit a roadblock. We're on I-95, we hit a roadblock. Traffic stops on our straight line journey from loving people to being at peace with one another. What in the world do we do? When we've done our dead level best to try to be devoted to somebody and to honor them. We've tried to live in harmony with them and we're hoping to be at peace with them. But sadly and regretfully, we're not at peace with someone. There's conflict. There's disagreement. What, what do we do then? Well, Paul provides in this text what I'm going to call an escape clause. 
Here's your escape clause. Verse 18. If it is possible, remember we got an if-then proposition here, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then Paul goes on to give us those verses that says, don't seek revenge, but leave it to God. Let God work out the results. But you know, sadly, there are times when it occurs in your life and in my life. There are those occasions that occur when it's not possible as far as it depends on you or me. It's not possible to work out a disagreement. Sadly, it's not possible to work out a conflict with another person. It's a little bit like pushing a rope. Have any of you ever tried to push a rope? You don't get too far with that rope when you push it. Now, when you pull it, you can get somewhere. But pushing a rope is difficult. And when you run into a person, and you're doing everything you can to love them, honor them, be devoted to them, live in harmony with them, and trying to be at peace with, it, with them, and they want nothing to do with it. They don't want to mend the fence. It's kind of hard to live at peace with them, isn't it? So what in the world do we do when we desire to mend the fence, but someone else doesn't? Well, two people have helped me through the years in this matter, and I am hopeful they'll be helpful to you this morning. One person is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus in the first gospel, Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 15, sends his disciples out on a missionary journey. They're going on a mission trip. And Jesus is sending them to what he calls the lost sheep of Israel. He's sending them out into the villages in the towns of Israel. And Jesus tells them in verse 13, he says, if the home speaking of the home that they're going to visit, the people they're going to visit, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. But if it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off of your feet when you leave that home or that town. All right, so you got the picture. The disciples are on their mission trip. They're going to the villages of Israel. They're going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They go to a home or a person, and the person doesn't like what they're saying or doesn't want to have a relationship with them and will not receive their words. Jesus says, you turn, and you shake. And you know back then, they, they, I've been to Israel, and they got a lot of dust over there. And they, and they didn't wear shoes with socks back then either. They wore sandals probably, or they were barefoot. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. All right, you hang on to that, that idea, first of all. Shake the dust off your feet. That's number one. Number two, the second person that has helped me is the Quaker writer Richard Foster. He wrote a book entitled Celebration of Disciplines many years ago. And he writes in that book that the discipline of silence, the discipline of silence, can actually empower us in the face of criticism, in the face of conflict. The discipline of silence can empower us not to feel like we always have to explain ourselves or give an answer for something we did in the face of that criticism and that conflict. 
Richard Foster says that the discipline of silence actually gives us permission, now this is a novel idea, to keep our mouths shut. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? Face of criticism, face of conflict, don't we want to explain ourselves? Don't we want to justify ourselves and fix everything? Foster says we need to keep our mouths shut and, he writes, to let our justification rest entirely with God. We don't need to straighten others out, Foster writes. Perhaps more than anything else, silence brings us to believe that God can justify and set things straight. Okay, so if you hung on to those two things, silence, let God be your justifier, shake the dust off your feet. So what do we do? We've devoted ourselves to another person. We've tried to love them. We've tried to honor them. We've tried to live in harmony with them. And there is no peace. They don't want the peace. What do we do? Sadly, folks, sadly, regretfully, we have to accept the fact that there are some people in this world whose spiritual DNA and emotional maturity are not able to live peaceably, hardly with anyone. And you shouldn't be surprised that you're one of those anyones. You've tried everything you know to do to promote harmony and show devotion and honor and live peaceably with that person. And it's not happening, not because you haven't done your part as far as it's possible with you, but because they've made the choice. So what do you do? I think the only thing we have to do is to follow what Jesus said. We shake the dust from our feet we move on and we let God set things straight in the end about who was right and who was wrong. We let God be our justifier. Now, I've been thinking over the last week or so, is there a good example that kind of illustrates what some of this means about moving from love without hypocrisy to honoring and being devoted to people and living in harmony with people and being at peace with them. Is there a good example we could look at today? I hope I found one. Regardless of your political views, and that's one of the things I don't deal with in, in sermons, is I don't deal with partisan political politics. That's up to you to decide. But regardless of your political views, of the politics of the late Senator John McCain, who died on August the 25th, in Arizona. One of the things you've got to admit about John McCain, he was a man who was willing to defy the conventional wisdom of our time on both sides of the political aisle. He was a man who was willing to reach his hand across the political aisle and to work with folks with whom he disagreed on sub substantive type of issues. It should not be lost on us First of all, that John McCain planned his funeral before he died. You know, he had a terminal brain tumor. It shouldn't be lost on us that he planned his service before he died. So all of the speakers that spoke and eulogized him at his uh, several services in Arizona and one at the Washington National Cathedral, they all were there at his invitation before his death. So that shouldn't be lost on us. And number two, it shouldn't be lost on us that one of those speakers was one of his former Senate colleagues, and a former vice president of our country, Joe Biden, who is a Democrat. Now, now you know John McCain's Republican, right? Joe Biden 
at the North Phoenix Baptist Church at the funeral service that was held there in Arizona. When he stood up, Joe Biden came to the platform. I don't know if you saw it or not, but he came to the platform, and he looked out to the congregation. He said, my name is Joe Biden. And there was some laughter as if, yeah, we know who you are. And then he said, I'm a Democrat. And there was a little more, you know, snickering in the congregation as if, yeah, we know you're a Democrat too. And then the third sentence he said was, and he dropped his head, and you could hear his voice breaking. He said, I'm Joe Biden, I'm a Democrat. He drops his head, his voice breaks, and he says, and I loved John McCain. That was powerful. He, he didn't need to speak for the rest of the 20 minutes that he did. That was powerful. And, and, but Joe Biden did tell a story. He said that when he was in the Senate and John McCain was in the Senate, that sometimes before the Senate would go into session, McCain would come over. You know, you know they, they have the section for the Democrats and the section for the Republicans, right, in the House and the Senate. So, and they all sit together. They don't mix and match. So, you know, Biden's over here and McCain's over here. And sometimes Biden said before the Senate would go into session, he'd get up and just go over and sit at the desk next to McCain, and they'd visit. They'd talk about family and life, just whatever, because they had become good friends. And then sometimes McCain would, you know, he'd come in, see Biden sitting over there, and he'd walk over and sit next to him on the Democratic side. And Joe Biden said that after a couple of years that some of the Democratic leadership came to him and said, Joe, you shouldn't be sitting next to John McCain. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. And so Biden told McCain what the Democratic leaders had said to him. And McCain said, isn't that interesting? I've had some of my Republican leaders come to me and say the same thing about you that I shouldn't be going over and sitting next to you because it doesn't look good. It should not be lost on us that John McCain asked two men to speak at his funeral service at the Washington National Cathedral. He invited two men to eulogize his life who defeated him twice in his runs for the presidency. The first man that spoke at the Washington National Cathedral was former President George W. Bush, who defeated McCain in the 2000 Republican primaries. And the second man that he invited to speak was the man who defeated him in the 2008 general election, former President Barack Obama, Democrat. Isn't that interesting? In fact, uh, Obama said that he was pretty certain that McCain probably had invited him to speak so that he could be certain that Obama would say a good word about him. And the other interesting thing to me is that McCain invited form, one of his former Senate colleagues, former Senator Joe Lieberman, who is Jewish, who is a Democrat turned independent who spoke at a service that was Christian in orientation. And do you know that when Lieberman 
and McCain were in the Senate together along with Republican, current Republican Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. Are you aware that Joe Lieberman, Democrat, turned independent? John McCain, Republican from Arizona. Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina. They developed such a friendship and a working relationship that they were called by their other Senate colleagues the Three Amigos, the Three Friends. I think John McCain knew something about what it means that you don't have to like somebody or like what they stand for or like their position, but you can love them unhypocritically. You can honor them and be devoted to them and try to live in harmony with them and try to be at peace with them as far as it is possible. And in those moments when it's not possible, John McCain knew how to shake the dust off his feet and move on. And let God be his justifier. Let God deal with the results at the end. So you see, that's my prayer for you and for me this morning. With your families, in your work systems, in the community activities that you're involved in, here in the life of this church, my prayer is that we're going to work real hard to have an unhypocritical love that takes us through those steps that leads us to being at peace with one another. So I want to ask you, you need to go the extra mile. I, I guess I didn't ask you, I just told you, didn't I? You need to go the extra mile. And you and I both need to do what Jesus, what Paul wrote here in this text. If it is possible, and there are times when it may not be, but if it is possible as far as it rests with you, Live at peace with one another. And sadly, remember that there may be those moments when all that we can do is shake the dust off of our feet and let God be our justifier at the end.